I believe that sometimes people see us as something other than human because they don't, you know, go, they don't know us outside of work. Some some people do, and mo- most of the people that know us outside of work are your pro-law enforcement people. Right. Uh, or they know somebody, and those are your pro-law enforcement people. But my my biggest thing is, like, if I was to tell you my entire life story, most of the people that I dealt with in the streets are people I can relate to, but they don't see that. They see a uniform. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast. If you're looking to hear stories of hope, inspiration, and turning your greatest adversities into your advantage, well, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Jason Lachance, and through my addiction recovery and struggles with anxiety and depression, I dug into my passion of speaking with people who have transformed their lives. And my guest is Lucy Lopez. Lucy is a Merced County Sheriff who was shot in the line of duty. In this episode, Lucy shares how she's been able to process the events and trauma from that incident as well. She opens up how her father's alcoholism gave her a firsthand perspective on addiction and how she's used that to be a positive service to others. And she also shares how one special mentor not only inspired her towards law enforcement, but training in boxing prevented Lucy from making disempowering decisions in her youth. Such a pleasure to have sat down with her. You guys are going to love this episode. Lucy Lopez, Merced County Sheriff's Deputy, thanks for joining me. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, I know. We were sitting here. It's like we probably should have record with the conversation we were having before. Um, but we're going to go, gosh, all over the place. Uh, I like to start with gratitude. And I find that people, you know, we're going to get into different stuff that you've faced within your job, including being shot in the line of duty. Um, but, yeah, three things you're grateful for today. I'm grateful for just to be here, just to be wake waking up um i'm grateful for my family always and i'm grateful um for the opportunity to do something different today Mm. what do you mean by something different today every day and we joke about this in law enforcement every day is your first day oh because it can be the same call but it's never going to be something that you've experienced before right so every day that you wake up you don't know what you're going to face, regardless if I'm 10-8 or if I'm just home. So to me, that's just an opportunity to do something different, something new, and something I haven't done before. And that kind of can pushes you forward Yeah. You know, to accomplish something. What's 10-8? That means you're, you're live. Oh, at work. Okay. <laughs> I was like, police go, I don't know 10 8, you know. <laughs> I know some of these other ones. Like, we got a 5150 here. And, uh, you know, speaking from personal experience, <laughs> I remember, I still remember, I was joking with you that, you know, my alcoholism led to an arrest. And I remember the officer, you know, over the radio, no, he's not a, he's not a 5150, you know, which I probably should have been, uh, you know. Uh, registered as that or whatever. I mean, they got me some psychological help and had the conversation with the uh, the psychologist after the arrest. But yeah, um, it's funny. Yeah. You say fifty one fifty. I'm like the drink. Where is it? <laughs> I think we still got some <laughs> in like the fridge. Melonberry. <laughs> I might still have some. Um, but yeah, I you know again, thank you for coming down and and it. it I'm glad to see more 
uh, law enforcement talking a little more open about things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm seeing kind of a shift of addressing, you know, it's a tough job. Like I have a big issue, I was telling you before, and I have a big issue with anyone that was like, you know, the tilt of media and all these things and, and just people not understanding what a law enforcement officer goes through daily. It's not, there's nothing easy about No, job. and I, I, be, I believe that sometimes people see us as something other than human. Because they don't, you know, go, they don't know us outside of work. Some some people do, and mo- most of the people that know us outside of work are your pro-law enforcement people. Right. Uh, or they know somebody, and those are your pro-law enforcement people. But my my biggest thing is, like, if I was to tell you my entire life story, most of the people that I dealt with in the streets are people I can relate to. But they don't see that. They see a uniform. Right. Like... I think it's funny that, you know, you're driving, you see a cop, you slow down. But they don't realize that inside that co- that cop car, they're talking maybe to their spouse, they're taking a break, um, they're just listening to a good song, you know, doing their report, yeah. and you automatically get into a defensive mode. Some, some people do. Yeah. But it took me a while to <laughs> shift. <laughs> we got, I got to be a, so this is a funny story. I was telling someone the other day, I'm uh, in line at the, the big coffee chain. We won't mention their names because they don't advertise with me. So, um, and there was a cop car behind me. And of course, it was, you know, the first thing. And then I was like, oh, it's Atwater PD, you know, in the town I live in. Hey, it looks familiar. And I pull up to the window and I go, hey, what, what did the officer order, by the way? And he told me, he said, I'm going to cover that too. And so, you know, I go and where I'm at, I got to get onto the freeway, like right out of the drive-thru. Then he turned on the light, but just a real quick one. And I'm like, oh my God, what are my tags out of day or something? And I bought you coffee. Yeah, it, no, and he gets out and uh, I'm like, I'm sorry, officer, did I do something? He goes, hey, thank you very much. Hmm. You know, and I don't think there's enough of that understanding that like, it's tough. You know, and sometimes people do, and and I know you don't do it for the thank yous. I don't, I don't do what I do for the thank yous. I do it because we were both talking about this is what we felt called to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it helps. <laughs> sometimes a good <laughs> thank you will get us through. Am I doing this for the right reason or no? Yeah, you go through those days where everybody's just mean to you. Like, you know, you have a bad day. Like, say you have a bad day at home, and you go to work. And every, everybody at work is just mean to you. I'm, you're going call after call after call. And everybody's just giving you F-bombs or, you know, get out of my house. Or you did this. It's hard to be that person that enforces the law. It's hard. Nobody wants to be that person. But like I mentioned it before, it's a calling. Yeah. But, you know, like for me, you know, I grew up, like I said, in a, in a rough neighborhood. And law enforcement experience wasn't necessarily the greatest. But then I saw, you know, growing up, you know, in a Hispanic community, um, if you want to see change, you kind of have to want to be change. Sure. And, like, putting on the uniform and, like, now I go back to where I grew up and it's this amazing relationship. It's like home sweet home. They have a different outlook on law enforcement because they know me and they feel like I'm part of their family. And that's just kind of nice. Yeah. You know, so I, I enjoy it uh, more now after like being able to share that with people and i'm open to 
to them about it. Like, hey, I grew up in, in this town. I went to the school. I know so-and-so. And I'll be, like, hanging out with a lot of my, my friends from work, and everybody's name-dropping me. Everybody who works at in Planado, where I grew up, with, they, they'll be like, hey, do you know Debbie Lopez? And they're like, yeah, I know. You know, and <laughs> now they're, like, my law enforcement friends are like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, somebody came and asked you. I was like, yeah, they'll do that all the time. Yeah. Yeah, for people that don't know, uh, we call it the planet here, Planada, the town planet. by where we grow up, um, live currently. But it, it's it's still rough. Mm-hmm. It's still a rough area, and it's. I mean, you tell me, you grew up there. There is a lot of migrant families. Um, so you know, one of the things that pisses me off when people attack migrant families, being in the media or just in general, is not understanding. Look, these people are just trying to survive, and so you have sometimes mom, dad that are working all the damn time just mm-hmm. to pay the bills to get by. If you haven't seen, this country's gotten really, really expensive just to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that leaves the, the youth vulnerable to what environments are out there, you know? I mean, uh, especially if you're wanting to feel welcome um, in something, and it's like, people always ask like, oh, how do these kids get in gangs? It's like, really easy. Mm-hmm. When you have somebody that, like, your homie tells you every day, you know, you're, I love you, man, or whatever it is. And, hey, we're so in together, we're going to be like the Lakers. We're going to wear the same uniform. Mm-hmm. And they do. <laughs> like, they wear the same uniform. Yep. <laughs> you know, that's what it is. That's how it works. They feel like a team, like a family. Yep. It, Planata, when I was growing up, it was like, you, first, you know, you had the brown pride. And then you had that break into Norteños and Sureños and people just chose sides mm. and something about Planada is that everybody there is almost related they all came from the same you know town in Mexico because I have a million cousins there um but like going forward just watching you know what we did as kids like there was nothing mm. we, we all swam in the same canal even like I don't know Stitch Durant you know he talks about that in his yeah, book yeah. um he talks about Peter Deep yeah. Everybody in Planada talks about Peter Deep because that was our watering hole. Yeah. It wasn't the safest. <laughs> but, but that's when kids, we could get away with it, right? Yeah. Nobody was looking out. It's changed now. Your slushy uh, at John's Market? Yeah. Broadway but, Market? Uh, let people know Stitch Duran, of course, uh, legendary corner man, cut man, uh, boxes. I mean, geez, what, he's worked with Mike Tyson. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't he work for Evander, too? I'm trying to remember all the people. The Klitschko Brothers. The Klitschko Brothers. You've seen him in, uh, what, two Rocky movies, I think? He's Creed, been in two of them. Mayans. Creed. Yeah. He stitched Holly Holm when she beat Ronda Rousey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Legend. So he's from the, the same town that you are. Yeah, good guy. He was supposed to come on. I don't remember what happened, why that fell through. But, oh, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, there's examples of people get that getting out of that environment like it is possible but they always come back yeah that's the thing about Planada like I was at the schools and Lee Grand too and everybody that works there came from that town mm. and it's pretty neat you know because yeah. it continued that culture and it like I said it home home sweet home for me yeah well yeah. and I find that with people that that um step into their calling purpose whatever word you want to use those tend to be the people that Mm -hmm. come back in one capacity or another you know to at least you know like you know you live here in stitch's case i know he has come back and talked in that community and just fellowshiped with people Mm -hmm. um i just tend to find that more often with people that really step into a purpose you know not just a 
it's not just a job for them or the way that they earn money per se not that there's anything wrong with that but and then also like the the people who live currently in, in planata those are people that never left right it's hard to buy a house there <laughs> like i know people are like you would want to live there i'm like yes like i would want to live there because that's how safe i feel there knocking doors down by carlos fiera now available wherever you get audiobooks i wasn't done partying and i didn't want the binge to end I think I knew that when I finally got home, I'd have to face what I had done, and I wasn't ready to do that. Being responsible for my actions wasn't something I was looking forward to. I had abandoned my wife and baby, my family, and my business. I wanted to avoid the shame of returning to what I had left behind. Even though I was not yet going home, I wasn't sure I had enough resources to continue the binge. Click the link in the podcast description to find out more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, let's talk about growing up because, you know, we all face those adverse uh, situations in childhood. And some of us have big T traumas, little T traumas. But mm-hmm. uh, you were telling me you're, you're the sixth of seven kids. Yep. First generation. Yes. And I'm guessing mom and dad were like law enforcement wasn't <laughs> in their vision for, for, for no, Lucy. No, no, no. Um, actually, so my mom, she had five kids when she met my dad. And my dad raised them all as his own. Mm. And then came me and my little brother. Um, but, you know, the stuff that, you know, you just grow up in a, in a Hispanic household, you know, they go to work, kids go to school. And even though there were six, there were seven of us, everybody did their own thing. But our family has always been very close, very mm. tight knit because we grew up super poor. Right. And I feel like, you know, we always yearned about, you know, having this, having that, and it it was always hard. Um so each one of like my siblings, they all found their different, you know, my my older brother, he went straight into work. Uh, second oldest, you know, he was he the guy's 6 foot 5. I mean, I'm Five three and I don't know where they, he stole it for everybody. He used to play basketball. He was really good. Yeah. But he used to walk from Planada to Le Grand just to be able to play his games. And when the games would end in Le Grand, he would walk back. You give people, to, you know, I mean, this podcast goes around the world. Roughly the distance there. That's a good what twenty something miles, fifteen uh, miles. No, it's probably maybe like ten. Ten. Okay. Eight or ten, depending. Yeah, but after you play, let alone before you play a game, and after you play a game. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just that that's the example of <laughs> dedication. And I, I, I've been talking a lot more and exploring this with myself, actually, is I don't think people sometimes realize the person they're going to have to become to achieve the things they want to achieve. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure you went through it when you were like, oh, I want to be in law enforcement. And then once you got into it, it's like, whoa, 
I've got to find something else with inside me, a whole different level of, of performance and consciousness and just a way of living. Believe it or not, I didn't always want to be in law enforcement. What'd you want to do? I was anti-cop for a while. <laughs> Were I was, you? Yeah. Okay. I was, I was a little rough around the edges. I was just, like I said, I grew up in, you know, a gang community and um, you see everything. I mean, you would see people fighting in the street, but back then people actually fought. They didn't just shoot, right. you know? Um, and I just, every time we saw a cop, you know, nobody did anything. And I was like, you know, at this point, why do we even report it? Like, you guys are not gonna do anything. And I was like, I don't I, you know, I don't, can't stand cops, you know, they come is they come in with their nightsticks and they just wanna, you know, who's who and what's what, and they're always rude. So, uh, the real story begins where I walked into a boxing gym across the street. Really? Yes. So I was sitting on my curb because we did nothing. So I'm like, I have nothing to do. I'm just sitting here. I'm not doing anything. I see these people that go oh, to boxing gym. And I always wanted to do some type of martial arts, but of course my parents aren't going to pay for that. Right. So uh, I see this boxing gym opening up and like for three days I sat in a curb and stared across the street and just stalking it like a creeper until <laughs> <laughs> I finally saw you know the cop car that I always parked is a sheriff deputy um, and I walked in there and I opened it and he's getting dressed so he does this so then I was like where do I sign up and he's like come back at five and I'm like you know, screw this guy I'm, just, I'm not gonna come back at five right. he doesn't want me here so I'm not gonna do it but then again, my curiosity when I actually signed up. And um, I was in my weekly shopping spree with my parents, which the only place they took us was to go grocery shopping. And we couldn't grab anything because everything was straight produce. <laughs> All right. Um, so they called me, sign up. And I just wanted to be the best, baddest person there. Sure. The bully. And that same deputy, Jim Wild, he um, he's like, oh really, you you know, you're doing pretty good, let's take you to spar. So he took me to Chowchilla and I sparred, I saw this girl, looked like a total cheerleader and I thought I was this badass. So he puts me in the ring with her, she knocks out my wind. I'm like on the floor, like, I'm like, oh my God, what just happened? Like this never <laughs> happened. Like, I'm sitting there crawling, gra gasping for air. Yeah, that happened. I got my butt kicked. Well, that's so awesome because <laughs> it, in the way that it, A, you have this this perception, A, I'm gonna, I wanna talk about bullying a little bit because usually those of us that want to step into that kind of power went through it, but also you had this perception of, oh, here I am, I step in this gym, this girl looks like a cheerleader and then, and then I don't know what happened and it's that great <laughs> thing that, you know, I mean, you have to do it in law enforcement. Sometimes you do have to classify mm -hmm. people and, you know, I, I hate that. Well, they, what is it? Uh, not stereotype, you know, pre-identify or whatever. It's like, well, sometimes you kind of have to do that because it's kind of, you know, it's how the brain works, how we put stuff together. But it's always cool when we have situations that break that paradigm in our way of thinking. That oh shit moment. <laughs> yeah, that oh shit moment, right. <laughs> right, I got a left hook and a, and a jab to the gut and I was on the ground. Yeah. Uh, so after that happened, I made it my mission in life to beat her so i trained so hard just to beat her and i um 
I couldn't afford a hand wraps so I'd, sometimes I would tape my hands yeah but then they would give you like a pair and they would anyways um I train I beat her she ends up quitting because she's like wants to do her other other things and at that point I was like okay what's next I'm really good um I think I'm gonna start competing and they're like yeah we think you should start competing and uh so we started competing first tournament was the 2007 California Pell tournament and that was in Oxnard yeah police activities league for those who don't know what Pell is yeah so I had one fight because it was hard for me to get fights uh I actually won my fight knocked her out in eight seconds it was the first round and got a belt that thought I was cool when we're talking about headgear and yes. he knocked her out yes <laughs> yes I mean I was like a pit bull at that time do you remember what punches you threw because eight seconds, you're not throwing many. I think it was just like either a double jab and a straight right, and it just done. Then she gets up, and poor thing, she's like wiggling her legs, and I thought I was like super cool, but then that just became my obsession for like the longest time is just fighting, boxing, and that same deputy would take me home. He would drop me off, and then he'd take us to fights, and everything was free. My parents did ask me, like, why are you always over there? What are you doing? You should, my dad, girls shouldn't be fighting, you know. Uh, so that was some of the stuff that I dealt with. And they're like, we're not going to pay for that. And I'm like, mom, it's free. You know, like, <laughs> they're paying for everything. How can they pay for everything? You know, they don't believe it. Right. You know, so. Well, and I think it's not that, it, like, you're talking, your first generation not understanding that dynamic of these things existing. Because depending on what country you come from, there's nothing like that outside the safe zone yeah right to, to what they know yeah, yeah yeah very much outside the safe zone and 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 it's i can't imagine we were joking beforehand like i didn't have uh i mean i had support i was a pretty decent basketball player so my mom sent me to camps and stuff like that and uh things but i didn't have anyone also like driving but mm -hmm. i didn't have anyone deterring me either mm -hmm. like what you were facing and culturally that happens in so many different kinds of cultures especially you know mexican culture it's just it just is it's kind of like they'll kill your dream pretty quick yeah like if you tell like if i was to have told my parents like i want to be a professional boxer at 16 they'll be like no you're crazy that doesn't pay <laughs> which reality you know right now even in women's sports it doesn't pay but the ability to dream you just some people can be dream crushers and sometimes it's hispanic parents <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so when do we start transitioning then to the idea of, of law enforcement? Obviously, now you've had some camaraderie built and starting to see, oh, th these people, I think it's hard for people to understand that they want to blanket an individual in a certain way, mm -hmm. not understanding that they're human. They have so many different things. I mean, I've, like I said, I've had family members, law enforcement, like very tough out there. I've had some very good friends, the same but then separate of the uniform <laughs> totally different people don't forget to hit the subscribe button and if you get a lot out of this podcast share with a friend and don't forget the archive of interviews we have bam margera brandon novak kat von d charlie sheen edward furlong kelly osborne the list goes on and on of amazing guests that have been on the podcast sharing how they have found purposeful lives. Speaking of purpose, how about a lifestyle brand with purpose? 5150 LTM. 
That's right. Not only is it a lifestyle brand that can fit whatever it is you're trying to achieve in life, but they give back to the community. And you, the listener of Knocking Doors Down, get 20% off every time you shop at 5150LTM. All you have to do is use the code KDD20 at checkout and get 20% off. And how does 5150 give back to the community? Portions of the sales benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation. Their three amazing programs, the Race to End the Stigma, the Race for Autism, and the Race to Be Drug-Free. More on the Carlos Vieira Foundation, go to carlosvierafoundation.org. So, the gym closed down, Mm. and Jim Wilde told me, go to college, and I said, no. And he says, come on, go to college, like, just go. He was doing the, um, he was the chief campus police at the time. I was like, well, I don't have any money. I need a job or whatever. He's all like, I'll, you know, see if we can hire you on. So he gets hired there. I worked there for three years. Mm. So I was still in the law enforcement realm. I met um, a lot of my admin now at my job. And then uh, my dad, you know, he goes through this whole um, deal with uh, cancer. Mm. So he, my dad was, you know, really heavy into drinking and he developed cirrhosis and they couldn't get rid of it he stopped drinking but at that point it was too late it had spread or he's starting to see the the cancer and they said he had cancer so i spent a year taking him back and forth to palo alto me by myself and uh it drained me financially but we had the best trips. We went to, you know, the aquarium. We went anywhere he wanted to go, and I never told him I was broke. We just continued that, and it was just me and him because we were really close. And I went, after, you know, he passed, I went to this, like, severe stage of, I mean, it was never diagnosed, but I just didn't want to do anything anymore. And I, it took me forever, you know, to be, at that point, let's go back. While my dad was going through, you know, his cancer stage and spreading and all this, I was actually in backgrounds with um, CHP. I didn't get in. Even after he, he passed, I was still going through the through the whole course or um, hiring process. So I put my grieving on the side. And uh, when he passed and everything happened and I got denied, it crumbled my entire dreams of being into law enforcement. And, you know, back, you know, I was saying, like, this just isn't for me. Like, I'm just going to go into, like, the working world. I'm done with this. So my buddy opens up a boxing gym. And this is where the Carlos Vieira Foundation came in. It was in Atwater. And I started training there. And then there were, like, the same deputy. He's like, hey, I need to introduce you to another deputy, Bob Gladford, who just retired, actually. And um, he's all like, I want you to run a boxing gym for Planada. And hmm. I said, no, I'm not going back there. I'm not doing that again. Because at that point, I didn't, I wasn't really into my town. I just wanted to leave. Right. And uh, he says, come on, just, you know, try it out. See if we see what you think. So he kind of suckered me into it. Four years later, I'm running this boxing program, and it's amazing. And I'm <laughs> loving the kids, and I'm loving everything. And the Sheriff's Activities League is is there the Carlos Vandera, Carlos Vieira Foundation is there with their backing and I'm like this is gonna work so then he tells me do you want to be a deputy and I'm like 
the heck i just bought a house you know, I just bought a car. Like, I can't just leave my job that I've been at ten, 10 years because at this point it's been 10 years. Right. And um, he's all like, you know, you can do this eventually. You know, you do some time and then come back to coaching. And I said, mm, I'll think about it. And uh, my wife is actually like, why are you being like that? Like, you know, that's what you want to do. I just put him for it. So I'm like, okay, fine. So I'm working uh this almond processor that i've been in the past 10 years and i'm going to school i put myself through the academy and i um, eventually get hired as a deputy sheriff so three years later this is me now <laughs> it's wild and i mean i don't know if you hear yourself when you're talking it's it's the example of the hero's journey right mm -hmm. what they talk about is that uh you know that angst and then you know the when we go through the coming of age and we develop these things and then come back home so to speak and uh you know it's pretty it's pretty wild how life for some of us gets presented that way you know like i didn't see any of this coming <laughs> I, I wanted to be a guy that told uh, uh dirty jokes and dick and fart jokes on the radio and you know my dream was to be like howard stern or something i never expected to be in a, a, an addiction recovery advocate let alone a recovery coach and a mental health advocate and you know doing narcan trainings in our town and all these things it's just it's weird how our purpose starts to come um Sometimes when we take our hands off the wheel <laughs> and listen yes. to others and just be like, I'm going to let something else guide me because I know for me, every time I did stuff my way, shit got messed up real quick, Lucy. You know, I just, I had a knack for messing things up when I did it my way. You know, I mean, I'm a person of faith. So I believe in a higher power and, you know, I kind of have to listen to that over myself. I had that, that era too, that church era. So the, when I was like, younger and we used to run to the track from the boxing gym to the track, there was a church. And believe it or not, I was there too <laughs> <laughs> after practice church. But that's a good thing. I, I don't understand, or at least I, actually I do understand, um, especially someone that I was sharing with some of my childhood traumas. I was, I was looking for pleasure for so long over purpose. Mm and joy like joy and pleasure are different like i'll talk to these kids you know when i go into schools and and hey i you know because of my trauma and and i didn't tell you this but you know pornography hardcore pornography was very prevalent in my childhood um so i was constantly seeking out pleasurable things over joyous things and like i tell them you know these i usually just speak with juniors and seniors it's like because i'll ask well okay, you, you brought up sex. I'm like, yes, it's pleasurable, but there is a difference between joy when you have someone you care about, you love, as opposed to, ooh, I like the way you look. I want to get naked with you. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? It's it, it, And I'm not asking you to necessarily comment on this. I'm just speaking to the point that there is a big difference, and I think if we can touch the youth, uh, much how it was for you with boxing, it's like the... You know, for me, drinking uh, was pleasure on the front end, pain on the back end. Mm. Now doing things, much like you with boxing, it was the pain on the front end, the pleasure and reward on the back end, the joy on the back end. And I think it's hard to get through 
to anyone. I mean, so many adults live this way too, and I still struggle with it. It's always going to be a daily struggle. I think that's part of life. But to communicate, hey, like, like do the work on the front. You're going to feel like you want to really feel good. Mm-hmm. It's on the back end. Yeah, I think for me, boxing was not about beating up people. It was about validation. It was about being heard because you know being one of the youngest in in my family I was pretty much non-existent you know that's how I felt and it gave me you know my self-esteem it went up you know my anger it it went away and I was just this new person inside and that was the real me and I tell people boxing is not about beating somebody up it's about the demons that you're struggling with and every single person that i've ever trained has had a different demon that they're struggling with boxing has just been it it like channels something it takes away that and it gives you something back you might not go and become world champion and do these things but you're gonna get something back from it and that's what's gonna carry you forever because like i see my kids that i've trained you know they went to a UC, they come up to me, they hug me, they tell me, coach, I'm like, I'm doing this and this and this. And I remember how they came to me, those broken little things, shy, you know, bullied or whatever that they're dealing with. And there's something else now. Yeah. And I feel like that, yes, I, I became a deputy and I did all the stuff that I ever wanted to do, but it was like, the ladder was so freaking high and it's still <laughs> going right now. Yeah. That's the way I see it. It's like once I get like climb a little bit more, it's gonna be even worse, you know. Yeah. But hey, we're we're here. We're ready. <laughs> yeah, I was. It's. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. I because I, I love boxing, and uh, um, you know, I'd watched the Oscar De La Hoya documentary the other day, which is phenomenal. And then uh, the other night, couldn't sleep, and I've been struggling because I'm 45 years old, and it kind of feels like. I'm not like a, I'm not like a starting over point per se, but you know finances aren't great. Nobody's finances for the most part are great, especially with this economy. I won't get political because I got a lot, a lot of things where I get angry about it. Um, but I was I've really been struggling with that. Like God, you know, someday I'm going to be older. You know, I was telling you my the the medical issues my folks are having and. Like, am I going to have a pot to piss in? I don't want my kids to have to take care of me. All these things. And I'm watching this George Foreman film. And what you said, two things stood out was when he goes to, uh, when he first starts training and, uh, you know, he's he's telling the gentleman, and I'm drawing a blank on his name and I shouldn't be, but uh, yeah, I'm a good fighter, or, or, you know. And he's like, we don't fight here, we box. Because there is a huge difference. Oh, yeah. There's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, his tenacity and determination when he, you know, George Foreman left boxing after he had his spiritual awakening after a loss. And then, you know, at the age of 45 to win the world championship because his wife had a vision that that's what God wanted him to do, you know. And so it's just, uh, it's really interesting that if we just kind of listen, we'll get these moments that tell us that all that we've learned and gone through is to lead it somewhere else but we have to listen i like what you said about taking your hands off the wheel Mm. because i feel like that's a lot of like my life the more i worry about it the worse it gets right you strangle it yes and it becomes like this this feeling that like you're suffocating and 
you're like, it hasn't even happened yet. I'm just thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, once you let it go, you're like, oh, that's going to take care of itself. And eventually it just does. It's just time passing by. And that's all that we need is just time. But the more we think about that specific moment, the more we try to control it, the worse it gets. Yeah. Well, and I think it's one of the things too, and I've, you know, I've told my, my kids this and people that I work with, especially new to recovery is, you know, there's things we have to deal with because what we don't deal with deals with us mm-hmm. in some way, shape or form. Um, so there's things we have to confront, but I think we, I think we, 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 when we future trip, we treat the things of our past that maybe we have to still deal and overcome in the same light. And they're not, because we don't know what the journey is. Mm-hmm. We really don't know. Like this, this conversation came together two days ago. Yeah. You know, it was a, our mutual friend Julio that works for the Carlos Vieira Foundation was like, I think you'll really like this lady, Lucy. She's a sheriff's <laughs> officer, um, you know, was shot in the line of duty, just really awesome, you know, in boxing. And I'm like, yeah, cool. Let's talk. Let's sit down, you know. And it's like, I wouldn't have thought. Oh, yeah. The shooting. <laughs> yeah, I know. We'll, 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 we'll get into it uh, briefly. And, and I appreciate the vulnerability on that because, um, you know, I've had friends that were in the service shot. Uh, friends that are officers injured in the line of duty, but um, yeah, I mean, I I live here. I I heard about mm-hmm. this occurrence, you know, yeah. and was angered by it. I, a- angered by it in the sense not only that that happened to you, but that 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 is our town, our society, and mm-hmm. these things are going on. I learned very much on that that incident that you can't save everybody. Yeah. And no matter what it's just things happen for a reason you know i learned a lot but um you know it's just traumatic i think for everybody involved you know you just have to learn to keep going yeah because it's like you just can't can't uh i do it a lot for my family Mm. you know it hurt them a lot sure especially my mother well, I think your wife was... My wife, yes. You know. Um, but my wife has this thing where uh, I tell her, and I've told her this since day one, don't baby me, because uh-huh. I'm probably going to fall apart. <laughs> 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 so she, like, tries really hard, and she just kind of lets me have my, my moment. But then uh, she'll come back, and it's like, are you okay? Do you need anything? <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's... Uh, and that's so healthy... That, that you recognize and own that because um, you know one of my big issues in my last relapse was totally around a lack of boundaries and understanding boundaries mm-hmm. and I think people think like healthy relationships don't have boundaries but they they do matter of fact they have really great solid boundaries that are really respected I mean that's a big thing to be able to tell your partner and your wife and be able to go look I know this about me if you do this with me, it'll make me, you know, I won't have to confront this. I won't have to push through, but I need your support. Yeah. So regarding, like, this this is new to us, the law enforcement realm. And anybody who's married into law enforcement knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's that, like, you feel like you're shielding your significant other from what you deal with every day. And at that moment, you know, when she saw it for herself, when the video got released online, I couldn't shield that from her. 
and it brought up the topic of what else don't I talk about when when I get home mm. and I I'll be honest I'm the type of person that I get home I take off my deputy hat and I'm me and but it's kind of hard still because you know you're driving in your normal car and you see all these things and you can't do nothing about it right um but uh regarding that like yes we do talk about how i'm feeling and she's getting really good i mean we've been together for 14 years and so she knows my moods like clockwork she's like okay you're gonna get irritated about this and then in the second you'll calm down and she just lets me do my own thing but in the in what i've noticed lately since i became a deputy she's more observant of how i interact with the public she Hmm. knows that you know, being out and about, I'm more aware of my surroundings and, you know, how how is it too much to interact? Because it, it does take a toll on you. You know, you spend all day trying to fix somebody's problems. and um, Yeah, nobody calls law enforcement when things are good. Like, hey, my house is great. No. <laughs> uh, if you want to come by for a cup of coffee. No. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just happy sometimes that I find a quiet time to do my report. Right. But... It's a struggle, I think. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I think that I, I've personally seen that dynamic, and, and I, don't think, I don't think it gets enough conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've seen firsthand, personally, I can think of about maybe eight marriages of people that I know when it comes to law enforcement and or military that came to an end. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it is it is hard. Like you, you do wanna like take the hat off. You do wanna come home and have a different experience and it's hard to, it's hard for me. Like it's, <laughs> it, with, with what I do, you know, to be like, uh, what you said earlier r- rings true because my, my uh, mentor of mine, uh, the founder of Parents and Addicts in Need, Payne, the nonprofit I work at in Fresno, California, Flynn Anderson said to me, you know, I want you to understand something, and, I, and, and it related to my relapse as well, is this is not your recovery, and we can't save everyone. Mm-hmm. And I have to remember that, because it hurts when I see that. It hurts when I see friends of mine that relapse, um, people lost, especially if fentanyl on the streets. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's hard, and it's hard to want to come home and, and you know, my, my my girlfriend. She works with children with autism. She loves it, but it's exhausting. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's yes. incredibly exhausting. And so she comes home, she's worn out, and the last thing I want to do is be like, "Oh yeah, so remember that guy I told you about? Yeah, no, they found him again. He 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 relapsed and overdosed on fentanyl, and you know, like I don't I don't have those." cutesy moments like where she's like yeah one of my kids you know whenever you call his name he says it louder or whatever you know <laughs> um, it's tough it's tough to to go home and then just be like I'm feeling all these things or my day was this you know she's she's my wife is very sweet when I was going through when I was home after my shooting incident she bought me a recliner and put it in my because I have my own room for like all my stuff she she noticed that I was spending a lot of time in there so she bought me a recliner and she let me you know have my time yeah and every time she knew that I walked in there she knew that I was struggling and when 
I started healing from my injury, I told her, I said, I want to take a trip. So we packed our things and we drove from California to Wisconsin, where my sister-in-law lives. Really? Yes. We drove there, like nonstop. We just went. Where at in Wisconsin? Appleton. Oh, okay. I'm actually at the end of this month speaking in Crandon, so outside of Green Bay. Okay. There. Yeah, at a I've recovery conference. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love Wisconsin. I, I tell myself every day that I will retire there. They right on. Great stuff. But anyways, I drove there, and I they have some of the most beautiful, like, hikes, hiking spots. So we went out there, and we hiked almost every day that we were out there. So then I came back. We drove back, and... We took a different walk. We went through Wyoming and saw all this cool stuff, like all the plane. But I, I thought that was cool. So I came back and I told her, I said, I feel like I'm ready to go back to work. And she tells me, like, are you sure? And I was like, yes. And so she's like, just give it a couple of days. So I, I did. And then she pulled me aside. She's like, you know what? I noticed you spend less time in your room. Hmm. But what I've picked up from it was during our drive to wisconsin i was a hot mess i mean it it was so hard to get out of california like i felt like i was not in control again like i had anxiety you know when my counselor told me or my psychologist told me it was ptsd from the incident i was going through every single emotion driving up to wisconsin and we talked a lot and i didn't realize how much we talked and coming back i was this different person like I let everything out and that's how I was able to come back to work I mean there's still stuff that I have to iron out sure and that you carry with you you know forever um but I think getting out of sometimes getting out of that comfort zone and addressing your issues is what's going to get you through yeah. instead of just hiding in the room well and I think Pain is a part of life. Mm -hmm. I mean, we grow physically, it's painful. We grow emotionally. We're usually getting on the other side or processing pain. And I put out this clip and I didn't expect it to get a lot of attention, but you know, I was talking with an individual about the hero and the villain and really the difference being the pain, how what we do with our pain. Like, you know, look at Batman and the Joker, my favorite superhero, my favorite villain. <laughs> both clearly went through some trauma some pain stuff the joker we never get really get told but it's pretty evident like you know something went on with this individual and then batman to be what batman is of course you know it's a little bit odd you know hey i'm gonna take all this money and gadgets in a in a suit and look like a bat <laughs> and invoke fear in, in criminals but it, it really is kind of that that extreme example of what we really have to do with these things inside because it can and and i definitely played that joker role going down that hole like my pain is so big that uh, i'm gonna have to do this drinking thing to to eventually it became oblivion it went from every now and then to okay to like every time you know it it just had to be and in turn i wasn't there for my kids my job my community my family you know all these things and i i really commend you because yeah we have to kind of confront that and go through it yeah you know you know, I I always think about that too. I'm big into superheroes and stuff like that. And I was looking back at, you know, all of my favorite superheroes.
but I also look back at every single villain and I I like their story yeah doesn't mean I support what they do (laughs) but um, sometimes regarding that they're uh, I feel like we get we get put in situations that you know they say God doesn't put you in situations you just can't handle everybody's different somebody might you know commit suicide for say relationship somebody might do it for money problems every relationship or every situation is different um and like sometimes I look at other people's problems and I'm like I dealt with that like very early on in my you know childhood and I didn't think it was so bad because I didn't know any better right I just knew that I had you know a crappy life that and this is all I knew and I just didn't know any better but there's people out there that go through that and it's the end of the world and it's just the struggle the fight I mean I don't know it's kind of depressing (laughs) no but I don't think it I don't think it has to be I mean you know as we're sitting here talking you know suicide awareness month just started in uh, September, and I spoke with a, uh, an amazing lady that we were talking about that, that I think I had told you about her, you know, was went into the military, uh, ended up becoming a reporter, I mean, interviewing presidents and all these things and struggled with it. And then eventually her oldest daughter and, you know, these suicidal ideation and these things, they can be, you know, genetic stuff, the combination of environment and, and so many different scenarios. and. I think it's important to remember when we look at our problems that everybody's going through something. Yep. <laughs> and and uh, I think one of the appealing things, I was thinking about this on the drive to the studio this morning, like, and the, don't take this personal because this is me with every conversation. I'm like, how can I get out of this? Speaking engagement, same thing. How can I get out of this? And then I go and I do it and I remember why I do them. Um, because, you know, I had the anxiety this morning and I'm in a lot of, uh, physical pain not not crazy extreme I just can never sleep comfortably it seems and then I'm remembering oh yeah I'm gonna talk with an awesome uh, <laughs> awesome person who who got shot I'm gonna go ahead and let my pain and thing just sit over here because I didn't <laughs> go through that and, and I'm not going through like I was telling you with my father who's a quadriplegic and, and constant pain it's like put like set your shit aside you know uh, my mentor, uh, one of my mentors sent me this video last night and he goes, whenever you think like a victim, and there's this guy, I don't know, press secretary for the White House or something, and he's there and, um, you know, he apologizes that he's he was late because his wife had just died. And then one of the press people like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, what, what happened? You know, she was killed in a car accident. Uh, my kids were in the car. Uh, my daughter's gonna lose her leg. My son's gonna be okay. Let's get to the agenda we've got a lot to get through and it's like oh my god like i couldn't you know because he's got a responsibility to the country mm-hmm. it's like uh, wow like to push through that Whew. you ever seen that movie yes man yeah okay so i've been doing that for a while now have <laughs> <laughs> you whereas like i try i mean obviously you say no to things you shouldn't do but um I've experienced a lot of cool things. Like I've never done something like this. And I was actually in leaving, was it San Francisco? Cause I was, we were out there at the, at a concert. And 
I'm like, at this point, I'm, I'm so good at it that I, I see the text message and, you know, hey, are you interested? Sure. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Not to think, like, what's going to come with it because, you know, I worked late yesterday. I woke up super late this morning. <laughs> and I'm like, and I go through the, that same thing, like, can I get out of it? Yeah. Like, is it a good time? But I had that, that same mentality when I, when I used to fight. I would go in the ring and I used to always have the same thought. Can I back down right now? But it's like, no, you're just, just go. And then you see it and you're like, yay, it's, it's a yeah. great fight. Yeah. But yeah, I have those moments too. Yeah, that was me with, with like basketball. Always, and, and this even, right? Like before people saw it, I'm like, ah, had some bad anxiety this morning. And then for me, it's once lights are on, so to speak, all of a sudden I just like, it all goes away. Mm -hmm. You know, when I do for uh, 5150 for the MMA events, I do all the, um, the ring announcing and stuff and right before like everybody leave me the fuck alone get away from me and then once i step up in there it's like this crazy adrenaline rush and then i'm fine yeah you know uh, it's uh anxiety is hard though yeah i have to con but i have to confront it as as you and, and it is tough because i do have days where it, it feels debilitating mm -hmm. um after my incident i remember the first time i started driving like i think it was maybe two days after i was going to a doctor and I couldn't drive my way back home. Oh. Mm -hmm. It was that bad. I just, I was like, you know, hyperventilating, the works. I just, the lack of control, like, I, I felt like I was going nuts. And it's just like, I didn't want nobody around me, but at the same time, I need people around me. So my wife had to drive me for a while. <laughs> I, I can very much draw that parallel with, with people going through sobriety, you know, because mm -hmm. their brain, they've, you know, people always, oh, you know, hangover lasts a day or two. Yeah, but alcohol really sits and affects your brain for up to eight to ten days. Regardless, it's still sitting in your system, let alone the other things that are out there on the street. I mean, we were talking about Trank beforehand, fentanyl with xylazine, you know, which is an animal tranquilizer um, and all these things. And so for the brain to start this reset, especially away from fight or flight mode, mm -hmm. it, it's tough. I mean, you're in a situation where your senses were hyperactivated, you know? And it's it's tough to sometimes shut that down. I mean, it. I didn't know time can slow down so much. You know, leading up, so the incident, you know, if you saw the video, I'm running behind this this person and I'm trying everything in my power, you know, to get him to comply, to stop running. Because I, I clearly saw the the mag of the gun he was holding because it was kind of concealed. I tried everything. I even tried bluffing him and nothing. Wouldn't give up. But in my mind, I'm thinking I don't want to take somebody's life. I know I have to, but I don't want to. Because what, what, what's that split second that he just does this? Right. You know, and turns around and it's done. Or drops the gun and he's done. He's running with this assault rifle. And you know, I'm just, you know, telling him, keep drop it, drop it, drop it. And I'm hoping, and I, I f almost feel like he's going to drop it. And then he turns around and shoots. And I feel it. And I feel the throbbing. And I feel the ringing of my ear. I feel the droplets. I smell the gunpowder. But up to that point, like, I'm watching body movement. I wasn't quick enough. Um, but... Going back and like thinking about it, time slowed down so much. You know, I recall everything that happened in that 
second up to the point where I made I had to make my decision and you know after everything said and done like I remember still walking around still my ears still ringing I can't really hear what my partner's saying uh you know everybody's freaking out but at the same time like I'm not taking anything I'm just like is my ear still there like I'm still alive and I go through it now talking about it um I was talking to somebody else and the word almost came up and in law enforcement they the conversation we had in law enforcement they tell you all the bad things that are going to happen and you you put that you set that down you already know that this is going to happen you're going to you know that once you leave your house there's a chance you're not coming back and it goes the same for you know you know military families they know that any first responder it can be you know firemen going to a call um you know that you might not come home that day and you, you make your bed with that that's what's going to happen but nobody ever talks about the almost moment right. the fact that you're now you came so close to that line of never coming home but you did but now you're living on borrowed time and every day now for the rest of your life you remember that moment how lucky you you are to be here and how fortunate and that you know I'm still trying to figure out why you know how did that you know bullet miss my head it was a five five six green tip and I tell myself if that bullet would have hit my armor it would have pierced right through me so there's this is a no-win situation whatsoever he has all these rounds in this would appear to be what 30 I don't know how many were inside I don't recall but you know the magazine can hold up to 30 rounds I'm holding this nine millimeter as you know 17 and you know you how how am I still here how, how do I go on through life knowing I came so close to the other side and I'm still here what is my purpose and you know part of that is go back to work and continue what you set out to do and maybe somewhere down the line you're gonna see why you're still here why you continuously help people that want to you know do these things to you and you know because i'm i'm telling you my family was not perfect we you know we grew up in gangs i saw you know drug addiction especially you know meth i've seen everything they can't say i can't relate you know I'm not a, you know, trigger happy person that goes around wanting to do this. Yeah. You know, I stepped into law enforcement to help those who couldn't help themselves or for the, you know, Hispanic community that wanted, you know, their voice heard or un being being able to understand, you know, even their language, talk them down, introduce them to this. But here I am, you know, having to go through this incident and having to carry that with me from here on out. You know, and it is difficult. But I don't see myself doing anything else. And this is what I'm going to do, you know, until I can't do it anymore. Yeah. Thank you for being so vulnerable about it. Yeah. It's, um, I think sometimes we don't, and really, you know, people have asked me, what the hell does knocking doors down mean? Um, and I think a lot of that's, that's what it is, is, is those barriers that sit 
in front of us with situations that we have to confront and make that decision. I think it's the scenarios of, I don't know. I don't know if it's God asking us like, okay, how serious are you about this? All right, I'm gonna, like you were saying, it doesn't give us anything we can't handle. All right, guess what? I'm gonna dump something on you here. What are you gonna do with this now, kid? You know? Um, yeah, gosh, it's tough. Yeah. But what else are we gonna do with life? Well, for me, I got a little stone thrown. You know, you have to release the footage. Uh, right. Yeah, so the footage, so that got released. Um, everybody i couldn't go to i actually was at the cemetery um visiting my dad i hadn't even gone back to work and people were talking about it you know five feet from where i'm standing it was hard to leave the house because you know there's different views on you know the the incident but um you know now i have to i shouldn't i mean the explanation's already been given you know it's already been done but I feel like going out in public and people seeing you that way especially with you know working with kids yeah it's, it's tough yeah so I think it, and it's a gosh darn public opinion of things to realize nobody but you were in your shoes in yes. that and people wanted to <laughs> I mean I get it our brains naturally want to discern and make judgments and all these different things but for people not to understand it you know no one not me no one not, I mean you telling me I can just visually because of how I am like almost be in the scenario with you you know but I wasn't there I don't know what I, I can see it from an external you know I can see this visual of these things. I can hear the sound. I know the sound of caliber of bullets similar to that. And, um, but I see it from an external view, from a, from a, a voyeuristic type of view. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like a TV show, but not through your eyes. And nobody does. And I think that's the thing that people forget, especially with what the internet is now and social media and all this stuff that um, they forget back to what we were talking about like law enforcement officers they don't get seen as real people no it, it's something that I have to overcome it's, all, it's almost like the a different form I guess uh, the people's form of PTSD sure it, I mean it's going to continue I don't know to what extent you know maybe until the next big thing comes along and people forget about it which I'm like hoping <laughs> <laughs> but um you know there's people everybody has a different way of talking about it i i feel like i know people are like how, how do you even talk about it like i i don't you know some people don't want to ask me some me i've i spend a lot a lot of time holding back on things and i'd rather talk about them now and get it over with and that helps me get over it easier then because I feel like people are so nosy they like with the what if factor like <laughs> if I don't say something they're gonna make all these assumptions oh yeah and th they've already been made um, I read I know I'm not supposed to read comments of 
you know, after the footage got released, like I, everybody told me not to, but I did it anyways. Yeah. And I saw every different point of view you can possibly have. And very few, um, I was fortunate that very few were negative, but at the same time, there's still a misconception of why I do what I do. Mm-hmm. And only the people that know me since I was a kid know the type of person that I am and the type of person that I continue to be while I do this job. So, I mean, I, I would, like I said, I, I wouldn't change it. Mm, I don't think, I think dwelling on the what ifs regarding that situation would destroy me. But at the same time, like, it's just not a happy, yeah. you know, thing that happened. Well, and I don't think we can, I know for me, uh, I had to reframe, and I don't know that this necessarily par- parallels with you and your experience, but I had to reframe regret. Like people, you know, will ask me, do you regret anything? And I said, not anymore. Do I have remorse over actions? You know, because mm-hmm. I... You're not going to find an addict that everybody went, oh, he was the nicest, sweetest guy at every moment. You know, <laughs> no. <laughs> There's a lot. I, 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 I had the capability to become a pretty mean bastard. And, um, you know, keeping my anger, even last night I had a situation where I wanted to get angry and I was just like, I got to go breathe and calm down because otherwise I'm going to yell and I hate to yell. I know I'm ugly when I yell and it's not very often. So when I do, it's like, oh. Um, but I wasn't going to sit and live in regret anymore. You know, maybe remorse over actions, but taking those errors of my ways and using them in a purposeful way mm-hmm. w- allowed me to reframe, okay, I don't, I literally can sit here and tell you I don't feel remorseful anymore. I do regret things because it hurt people, but I'm pretty sure, and it still pops up at t- from time to time, like people I need to make amends to and apologize or something. Um, but I know I take those actions now, and I think that's a big part of it. Is just what do we do? What do we do with these things, and then where do we take action from there? Mm. Well, I mean, I think every day, like I said, I I try to learn something from it, something that's gonna make would I feel much easier yeah. and like I said there's days that people just cuss you out and you have to remind yourself that this is just a job that you have to you know deal with this and that I have this theory like I used to now I'm the opposite I used to be very like I get so weirded out when I was having such great days mm-hmm. because I used to tell myself like damn it, it can only go downhill from here. Right. And I'm going to have a shitty day Almost tomorrow. as if you don't deserve it. Yes. Right. And I'm like, I don't even know why I'm happy right now because tomorrow's going to be a shit show and I'm just <laughs> not going to have a great day. But now I feel like I have these great days. Like, I go to work and I have these amazing days and I tell people, like, I don't care if the sky is falling right now. Like, you're not taking my smile yeah. and my, like, want to, like, want to be here. I'm just having this great day and I appreciate them a lot more now. So I flipped it, yeah. And can't believe I had to get shot for that to happen. But <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, but that's why I like to start conversations with gratitude. Yeah. You know, it's like we 
you know, we have this life that is for rent. You know, I'm a, I'm a, a, you know, I used to think humans had a spiritual experiences at times, and now I'm a firm believer that we're spiritual be- beings that get a human experience. Because if it wasn't the case, our bodies wouldn't be for rent. Mm-hmm. Like we're we're we don't know how long we don't we don't know. You know, we got to kind of like step into every day the best we can. And I was guilty of the same mm-hmm. thing and telling myself, like, well, things are going really good. Okay, when's the next the shoe going to drop? And it's like, well, I don't want to think that way anymore. Like, if I earned something, I earned it. Mm-hmm. Or if, 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 if I do the work to, to regulate my emotions or whatever, it's like, I, I earned that. You know, nobody bought it for me. Nobody gave it to me. You know, I I, I just kind of have to continue to roll with circumstances. You know, it's like when I get into people, well, this is going on politically and that thing, and it's like, okay, you're you can bitch all you want, but you're gonna have to try to succeed no matter what the paradigm is. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I have a friend of mine who was the gentleman on my relapse that I called. His name's Tony Hoffman. He found himself in prison. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And if you can find your faith in who you are and your purpose in prison, it's like, I, I don't know. I'm sorry that, you you know, your $150,000 a year doesn't go as far as it used to. Debbie, you met the family that, uh, you know, both parents come home stinking to high heaven and only see their kids for about 45 minutes before they go to bed and go do it again the next day. It's like, That's I don't know. tough. Yeah. Some people have to go through some really, really crazy experiences just to figure themselves out. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad I'm on the outside, but <laughs> 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 but like I, I hear things like that, you know, you know, people who were in there and they actually did the stuff that you're supposed to do outside, but took them that experience to have to do it. Sure. You know. And I think that maybe that's why we get presented with them. I don't know. I, 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 I'm not here to understand or extrapolate or explain higher power, God, whatever you want to say. I, I think you hit, you said it right, is we don't know the time that it's going to take for things to become unveiled to us. We have to kind of just, okay. Just let it go. Let the wheel go. <laughs> I'm not totally in control here. Oh, goodness gracious. Well, how about we change it up, have a little fun, huh? Okay. All right, this is random questions. Mm-hmm. I like to finish off this way, and then I'll ask you for any final thoughts you might want to share. Um, hey, Bean, you did boxing. Uh, three favorite boxers of all time. Mm, you know what? They were up-and-coming amateurs. Really? Clarissa Shields. She's not a professional. Uh, Shakur Stevenson. And I'm going to give... A special shout out to Mark Castro because he's out of Fresno, uh-huh. and he um, actually, you know what? Can I name a fourth? Sure. One that's very close and dear to my heart. He's actually from Merced. His name is Jesus Chiquito Haro. I think I've heard of Jesus. Yes. So actually, his dad was my coach this last wave, my last hoorah in boxing. We actually won the Golden Gloves. Did you? Yes, under the Haro brothers' boxing name. Right on. But he is probably my favorite just because he's home and because of, you know, he's a small kid, uh, you know, small guy. And 
to have fights that many fights he i mean you should have seen his amateur record very rarely lost and he's adam Merced. he's drinking our same water <laughs> so the girls more because um well uh, clarissa shields nobody's on her level shucker stevenson reminds me of floyd mayweather when he first started mark he's out of fresno he's i think he's gonna be the next ryan garcia's nemesis they you know they used to fight yeah, yeah. you know together and but yeah anyways those right are my on. answers all right but if we went professionals though what would you who would you throw mm, i don't know everybody's so exciting uh, there is so many great boxes. Triple G. Yeah. Triple G. I won't say Canelo because I'm a firm believer that Triple G won that fight. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, people have asked me and it's like, it, it's hard. Like, okay, so I grew up, uh, you know, watching like Tyson, of course. Because uh, like I said, I'm 45. So I was a little kid watching Tyson knock people out. And then De La Hoya, of course, came along. And then, you know, I mean, I love George Foreman and Evander and all these people, but Sugar Ray Leonard has a place in my heart because he struggled with addiction. And then when he opened up about being molested by a trainer, mm-hmm. like, I was like, wow, this guy that I just, like, you go back and I, Sugar Ray Leonard, I think one of the best pound for pound fighters ever and to be that vulnerable about that and really help more people through that and sharing that is um you know that's like a real fight that's commendable granted i've never been in the ring other than you know some buddies like joking around throwing (laughs) some punches but you know um, why i choose the the amateur ones sure because they're not fighting for money right for prize or for anything they're fighting to actually beat somebody yeah and their determination is just that much great you ever watched boxing in the olympics oh yeah that's what i was gonna say why i liked like evander oscar de la hoya um sugar ray leonard you know those guys were awesome olympic fighters Mm -hmm. you know i mean look at like oscar going back you know east la and then coming home and like i gave that community a lot of pride yeah i just i i think that every fighter once they reach that level they shouldn't slow down they should continue to pursue not just, I, I mean, everybody's different, but you kind of see like the the fire kind of die down as it goes with it. Yeah. You know, and I would want to see more fighters like actually take more and just push through. I mean, I don't know what slows them down, but. I don't know. I wonder if it's complacency or like you said, I, I have not met a fighter of any kind. I've actually, I've not met a fighter or a professional wrestler because I worked in both you know ring announcing or for wrestling tv commentary that didn't have some sort of angst or demon that they were kind of trying to exhaust through it mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying it's like you know you'll you'll boxing and mma okay it makes sense and then wrestling it's like a lot of the personas that get developed there you know that there is there is like an angst that that is there and mm-hmm. very few in those types of of combat sports per se um, I don't know if you just come to to a point of peace. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know? That makes sense. It's just like, uh, you know, I know that uh, when George Foreman came back, you know, like the old George wasn't the same guy. He was like, oh, I got to win this my way, you know, and it was a different approach. Um, so I don't know. You know what? Now that you think about it, Tyson Fury, 
Mm -hmm. I remember because I was a big Klitschko fan. And then when he beat him, I was like, damn, I don't like it. I don't like this guy. <laughs> but then, like, watching, you know, what he went through, too. Yeah. And what he's doing now. Like, he's the most chill person ever. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't. how do you even beat, how do you beat somebody that's just, like, having fun? Yeah. Well, he's and beating I, people while he's having fun. I know. <laughs> and that's that whole another level of, like, high achievers. I think some people don't, you know how I was talking earlier about that bridging the gap from, you know, the person you are now to the person you have to become. Mm -hmm. I think it has to become fun. Like it, it has to become a game. I mean, we as humans learn just like, you know, two puppies fighting, they're playing a game and, you know, adults, the humans the same way. You know, we learn so, so much through game and competition and, you know, I mean, you found it with boxing for you you could have easily went on another path and and instead of being where you're at now you could have gone the other direction you know but yep. through this game through this challenge and the challenge at the end of the day i think our angst has a lot to do with thinking that all of those challenges are outside of us and they're not they're they're in here and in here mm -hmm. You know, that's the challenge we face every day. I'm sorry, people. It's true. You know, it's true. That's why when people, you know, I'll talk, uh, if I talk about sex and love addiction, I'll talk, uh, tell people, you know, like where they say my soulmate. And I'm like, well, who is it? <laughs> oh, well, it's so and so. I'm like, mm -mm. no, 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 no. <laughs> Look in the mirror. That's the only person you're going to ever know that well. You might have an amazing bond and connection with someone. I mean, you're married. You know what that is. You know the work that it's taken. You've been together 14 years? It takes work. It takes work. It takes work. And love is work. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is. <laughs> like people that, oh, it's just these butterflies and rainbows no, bullshit. That that dies down. Yeah. And you have to fight to get those things back. Yes. Like, you know, it it, it, it it's not going to be the, the... You have to find them in the different stuff. Like, oh, my God, how cute. You, make, you do the dishes. Oh, right? <laughs> you know. Like the gratitude for things that you that you easily could take for granted. Yeah, you, you focus on different things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was the longest random question. All right. <laughs> um, last book you read, and what did you get out of it? Uh, the Alchemist, pa Pablo Coelho. Yeah, that is my favorite book because it reminds me of the Book of Proverbs. Uh, parables mm -hmm. um the meaning that oh, i actually i read it a lot but i always give away my copy so i have to always go buy one and then give it away again but um basically you can you can travel the world to look for this you know nice chunk of gold but you're gonna find it in your backyard sometimes it's staring right in front of you I mean, that might not be true for everybody because I know people would travel and then, you know, find what they're looking for. But for me, that I, I took to it because I wanted so much to leave and to do other things. But in reality, everything that I told myself I wouldn't do, I'm doing now. Right. And I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think what... I think when you talk about like the backyard, it, it you know there are some amazing people that were at my church recently, and they live now in the Philippines to help stop sex trafficking. Mm. You know, um, so that is now their backyard. You that know is what I'm a saying? gift. 
So I think it's wherever you kind of plant that and decide this is where I'm going to exercise my purpose, you know. And it could be the place that you grew up. I, I don't live currently in the place that I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't mean there's still not a lot of heart back there and love for that place and those experiences. Take it with you. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to have to read the book. I've never read it. I'm very familiar, but I have not read it really? yet. So I'm going to add it to my list. But I'll pass you some books too. Like you're reading it and then you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. But it's it's just, I don't know. I I get a kick out of reading it every time. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Um, I'm, I'm curious about your room because you were talking about your room that you went to and then we brought up some superheroes and villains. I want to know what's in that room. What 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 are the, like? What are you into? What's Lucy's thing? So, I, I have. I can honestly say that every childhood like toy that I ever wanted, specifically Harry Potter paraphernalia, <laughs> I have it. Um, my room consists of my treasures. <laughs> yeah. That are like stuff that I thought of like when I was a kid. You know, like. I have Harry Potter wands in there. I have my Harry Potter books. I have um, all my work stuff. I know it's a weird combination because you see Sheriff Deputy stuff and then you see a Harry Potter book. <laughs> I think it's cool. Um, but, you know, I have... Uh, oh. So, speaking of the church that I went to, I actually got a lot of... My, my family grew up Catholic. Right? Of course. <laughs> I think I've been baptized like a million times already. <laughs> right. <laughs> so this church was Christian, you know, Baptist. And they taught me how to play piano. So I always wanted to play an instrument. So my room consists of a piano and a guitar that I'm learning how to play. Mm-hmm. That's basically it. My, my treasures and yeah. work stuff and... So music I, instruments. So I know you've been then to Universal Studios and had some butterbeer, right? Okay, so Universal Studios. I actually got tickets to the opening day. <laughs> oh, did you? Die hard fan. Yes, I did. <laughs> right on. I damn near cried. Oh, that's fun. I love it. I see. I'm a huge Star Wars nut, and I still have yet to go with the new land there at Disneyland. Um, but it's on the agenda. But I can relate because I, I grew up... Uh, uh, G.I. Joe and Legos were my thing. Mm. And then I, my parents kept a lot of my G.I. Joe, but it was uh, after my divorce and finances were hard, so I had to sell it. And I was the kid, like, I know I'm older than you, but, you know, they had a huge aircraft carrier that was six feet long. I was mm. the kid that had that and all the big, you know. I mean, I don't want to know. My, my parents probably spent, like, $50,000 on G.I. Joe, but I sold it all because I needed to pay the mortgage, you know. Mm. But when I was uh, first started, you know, really working my recovery, a sponsor went, what did you love as a kid? And eventually whittled it down to Legos, so he gave me a gift card. And then uh, my girlfriend, that's often gifts is Legos. So I got bookshelves full of Star Wars and race cars, primarily Formula One. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that's my thing. So I know what you mean. Like, for me, I look at them, and it makes me happy. It, like, yep. takes me back to just a simple, innocent place of, you know, I mean, enjoying a story now as an adult to look and go, wow, Luke Skywalker was on the hero's journey and his father was the antithesis and it was like the <laughs> sins of the father and, you know, that we kind of got to learn from and we could easily go to. And it's like, oh, I kind of went to the dark side and my dad had this and then it helped me understand my dad more and what his trauma. And, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's just really interesting how all these things 
you know, can just have a place in our life and yet bring us peace. Mine was going to a better place, the magical world. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fantasy. Yeah, same. Yeah. I can relate to you. I know. It's like and I learned how to read with Harry Potter books. Did you? Yes. My parents used to pry them off of my house. You need to eat dinner. And I'm like, no, I still got like 24 pages and the book's like this big. I would kill <laughs> it in like two days because I was like, you know. Uh, that's so wonderful when we could find things like that to dig into. Um, all right. Uh, stranded on a deserted island, you have uh, one movie and one music artist's greatest hits with you. What are they? Mm, I would say movie. Mm-hmm. Mean Girls. <laughs> really? I was expecting some Potter, but okay. No, I can quote you or, or like say the lines of Harry Potter as I'm watching the movie, but... I think Mean Girls because I spend all day quoting it with my coworkers. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> what are you, Regina George, or what? All of the above. All of the above. Yeah. So I just I think it's funny and um, music. Greatest hits, one artist. I would have to say just Volume One of Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> that is a good album. That that movies yeah, those movies had such great music in it. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, I remember, I forget which one it was. I don't, I think it was one of the Avengers movies, but they're listening to uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy's Rubber Band Man. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, I love that song. Now it's <laughs> in my playlist and my, my youngest gets all, really, again? Like, I love that song. Uh, all right, one, one more fun one. What's another fun one? I had this put to me the other day, and it was uh, like, uh, if you knew that you were only going to have one more meal, what would it be? Like your last meal. My last meal. Yeah. I would say anything my mom cooked. Really? As long as it's my mom's cooking. There's something about like a mom that can cook, right? You know, my mom being first generation, you know, obviously me being first generation and my mother coming from, you know, Mexico. Um, everything she makes is homemade. I cannot go to a Mexican restaurant and think this is the greatest meal ever. Right. Where's your mom in, uh, originally from? Michoacan. Michoacan? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, I used to work, when I worked in radio, we had the Radio Lobo, so the big Hispanic station here. And I had a coworker that was from Michoacan. He's like, oh, he called me some because he couldn't say son. So it's some. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Oscar, you need to come back with me home sometime. I'm like, I would love to. Like, that would be a cool experience for me. Like, when you go and you just actually kind of live how people live, mm -hmm. I think that would be just a yeah, freaking awesome, awesome experience. Yep, chicken mole. Oh, that's my favorite dish. And she makes that thing from scratch. I mean, she does the whole, like, chocolate tabs and seeds and, you know, she makes her own paste. Lucy, we're staying in touch. <laughs> I'm coming to Homemade again. tortillas every day. I'm, I'm coming to meet your mom for some <laughs> chicken mole. Uh, thank you. This has been a real pleasure. Thank you Seriously. for having me. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Proud this of you. This was fun. I'm proud of you. Thank you. You know? And not only that for you internally, but that you can set that example. And, and, I, and I know that there's going to be especially young people that will gravitate towards your experiences story whatever you want to call it and um, it'll have a positive impact I know it I hope so I know so thank you for that you're welcome thank you for this 
You're welcome. For this uh, first time experience of my Yes Man Chronicles. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's where I like to leave the, the guest if there's anything that maybe you want to share. Even an anecdote, a joke, I don't care what it is, uh, you know, it's your, your, your time to say whatever you would like. I think, I mean, kind of drawing a blank here, but I just want people to understand that a job is a job, a uniform is a uniform, but that doesn't truly identify who the person wearing those things and doing those things are. Everybody has a soul, everybody's human, and they'd be surprised to see how people in law enforcement are more human and more relatable to the person they're standing next to in a crowded place. Thanks, Lucy. Thank you. On that note, keep knocking doors down, everybody. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast, featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities, including addiction, mental health, and trauma, to live purposeful lives. And that's what Noun is all about.